Thank you very much. Let's take the word of God together and turn to the New Testament book of James, if you would please. James chapter 5. And I want to begin, at least get our minds thinking about this man, Elijah. And Elijah was a remarkable man. There's so much about him. In fact, you might be tempted to think, well, we don't know that much about the man, but we there's so much about him that is to be considered even tonight. I was thinking about Elijah, and obviously we've been think, thinking about him all week long with the children. But Elijah comes really abruptly onto the scene. We're not told anything about his father or his mother, about his upbringing. And some people say that's very similar to Melchizedek and ultimately very similar to Christ. And uh, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. If you remember, um, he, he had no father, no mother, no beginning, no end, the Alpha, the Omega. And um, quite interesting. Well, Elijah also, we don't know anything about his parents, know nothing about his upbringing. Uh, we know very little. We know that he was brought up in Gilead, which was a rough and ready kind of a place with mountains. And so he would have been a rough man, tough man. You can see that even in his character and his personality. But uh, never went to any sort of Bible college or training. Uh, very, very straightforward, simple kind of a man, but a mighty man. Uh, the New Testament speaks about Elijah. His name in the New Testament is, it is uh, translated Elias. You find that over and over again. And one of my favorite verses in the New Testament about Elijah is found in Luke chapter seven, uh, Luke chapter one. And uh, the angel Gabriel is sent to Zacharias to tell him about John the Baptist who's going to be born, if you remember. And uh, the angel says, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Now, all these little phrases through the New Testament give us little glimpses about this man. That's a whole other sermon. The spirit and power of Elias. We'll talk about that at another day, another time. But it tells me. I want you to see one, one thing. One of the things I want you to see tonight about Elijah is that although he was unique and very special, he was also at the end of the day a man like us. And if we're not careful, we sometimes revere these Bible characters to a position and a place unattainable to us. So they, they, that man was specifically raised up for God for a specific time. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you and I cannot be either. In fact, we read that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elias, but we also read that Jesus said there's never a man greater than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Now, how I don't understand all that, but that's what Christ said. So we learn immediately that there is much more for us. God has much more for us than we have reached right now. And the sooner we can recognize that, that there's more. There's more to the Christian life than simply reading words on a page, singing words off of the page, and going to meetings like this. There's more. There has. There's more. Our faith is not just intellectual. It's deeply spiritual, and it's deeply powerful. And so, we'll see some of that as we study the life of uh, the Elijah. But turn to James with me, if you would, please. Do we lose our heat? 
James chapter 5. And we'll read just from verse 13 to verse number 18. We got it, just these, these verses. This is an interesting passage. I love the book of James. James is an immensely practical book. And I'm a very practical man. And uh, James, although his book is practical, it's filled with deep spiritual truths. Yet, very simple and hard-hitting truths. That's what I like about James. Uh, he speaks clearly. He speaks frankly. You know, some of the things he says, you think, well, of, of course. Why do we even need to have this here? But obviously, God knew that we would need it. And as James brings this letter to a conclusion, he seems to be more and more frank with the things that he says. And so we have a series of clear instructions, of clear antidotes, you could say. Let's look at them in verse number 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now that's pretty frank. Meaning, it's like obvious. It is obvious, but we don't do it. Is anybody sick? Well, go on, let him pray. We sometimes talk like that. Uh, Micah says, Daddy, I'm, I'm hungry. Okay, go on. Juliana said, the children are hungry. Okay, let, let them eat. Let them eat. The children want to go to the park. Nope, we'll let them go. Frankly, clearly, just go on. And that's what James, this is the, the flavor you could say. This is the spirit in which he's writing. Is anyone afflicted? That word afflicted literally means undergoing hardship or suffering trouble. You going through a hard time? Well, go on, pray. Now that's very, you say, well, come on, that's, give me something more. No, no, you can't have anything more. That's the greatest. Let him pray. And unfortunately, that seems to be the hardest thing to do when you're going through a hardship. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Are you happy? We'll sing. It's, a, it's the natural thing. Meaning the natural thing, if you're in trouble, we'll pray. The natural thing, if you're hungry, you eat. The natural thing, if you're merry, then sing. Praise the Lord. Next one. Is any sick among you? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And this is where Elijah comes in. Elias comes in. I love this because in the middle of James's very frank statements, you having trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Sing. Are you sick? We'll pray and then call for the elders and let them pray and, and let's work together. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. And if you can pray effectually, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. And let me give you an example, he says. Now, I like this because what James does, if it wasn't for James, really for the Spirit of God in James, we would all be tempted to think that Elijah was such a magnificent prophet that none of us could ever come close to who he is. I've often thought that. This man, Elijah, whew, I'm glad Paul's acting. I wouldn't want to act the part of Elijah in this sketch because I couldn't even come close to that man. But James does something in this book. 
James brings Elijah into the realm of reality. And he makes us see that you and I can be like Elijah. That's powerful. That is powerful. Especially when you think about what Elijah did. How God used him. And so he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That literally means has force and power and accomplishes much. I don't know about you. Look here for a moment. I don't know about you, but I am tired of just saying prayers. Aren't you? I'd like to be able to pray in such a way that when I pray, it accomplishes something. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. I've underlined those three words, as we are. You know what that means? He was like us. Faced the same temptations we faced. Faced the same trial. In fact, we know that because of uh, he, he wanted to die. You remember that? One day he was up on top of the mountain calling down fire from heaven, killing 850 false prophets. I mean, the man was literally flying on fire and the next day he wanted to die. You ever been like that? On top of the world one day, wanting to die the next day. We also know that not everything about Elijah we ought to imitate and mimic. We know that because if you remember, James and John, they went with Jesus to the villages preaching and, and the village people did not receive Jesus. Remember what James and John said? Let's call down fire from heaven. Well, that was they learned that from Elijah. Elijah wiped out a hundred of them because they didn't. And, and, and we're not saying that it was wrong by Elijah, but we're saying that Christ has come in a different way, in a different spirit, in a different. So not everything about the man ought to be emulated. So don't go calling down fire on people just because they don't receive you. So there are some things about Elijah that we ought to say. He was mightily used of God. And some things that were, you could say, specific to his time in human history, in the history of, of Christianity and God moving. But there are some things as well that. He had weaknesses like us. Subject to like passions, the scriptures say, as we are. Think about that, like passions. When I think about passions, meaning those things inside of you that sometimes get the best of you. Those emotions inside of you that sometimes lead the way and cause us to crash and burn. Those passions they're not always necessarily um, lust, lustful passions. They can be anger. That's a passion, right? It can be not being able to control your anger. Like Elijah certainly got hot pretty quick. Maybe it was a propensity to despair. That's a passion. He was subject to the same things we are. Now that is encouraging to me. I want to talk for just a moment about this, this man. And I want to talk specifically tonight about prayer. Because that's what he's brought, he's brought into this, into this chapter, these concluding marks, which by the way is a conclusion about prayer. Seven times prayer is mentioned in these verses. And the one example we're given in all of the previous scripture, the one example to prayer that is given in all the previous scripture is Elijah. That's not usually the first thing I think about Elijah. Is it you? 
I think about fire coming down from heaven. I mean, I think about him running past Ahab's chariot. I think about him declaring fearlessly before King Ahab. You know, that's, I don't think about him praying. But really, we see, we should see everything about Elijah in the light of his prayer. Because he did everything following his prayer. And that's where we find him today. Seven times we find prayer. Is any among you afflicted? Verse 13, let him pray. Verse 14, any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. Verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed in the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Verse 17, Elias was subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly. Verse 18, and he prayed again. Seven times. Prayer. And really this is coming, this example is given to us after the instruction and the encouragement James gives us in verse 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now let me break that down just quickly. You probably already know it, but just for the sake of our meeting tonight, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now that phrase availeth much literally means it accomplishes much. It has force and power. Now that's the kind of prayer I want. I want the kind of prayer that when I get on my knees, when I get alone with God, when I walk through the forest, whatever it may be, on a city, through the city center, when I pray, I can know that it's going to accomplish something. I don't want to be stuck like Sammy was telling us this afternoon, and I feel like him a lot. I pray all the time, over and over. My prayers don't seem to get answered. Have you felt like that? What's the point? I want to know that the prayers that are being prayed are, are effectual, that they're availing much. They're accomplishing something. The effectual, that means, uh, the Greek word, by the way, is energio. Literally, active, efficient, the effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual is the energized, the active, efficient, and fervent. The Greek word is zelos, literally zeal, heat. Ardor, the effectual, fervent, red-hot prayer, ardent prayer, zealous prayer. This is the kind of prayer that gets something done. That doesn't mean you got to scream and shout, but it does mean you got to be fervent. That's what we find later on uh, that he prayed earnestly. We'll come back to that in a moment. The effectual, the active. The efficient, the prayer that gets something done, that accomplishes much, is a fervent prayer. Do you know what one of our biggest failings in our prayer life is? Is We don't really believe that God's going to answer. And because of that, we just pray really soft and nonchalant kind of prayers. And we're not fervent. When my children come to me fervently, when they come to me with a great emphasis on something, a great amount of zeal and excitement about something, it makes me listen a little bit, doesn't it? If anybody does, if somebody comes to you and they speak to you with sort of zeal or enthusiasm, you sort of step back a moment and you listen. If some com somebody comes to you and they're as boring as a National Geographic documentary, 
then you don't really want to pay. Now, some of you may like that kind of a thing, but you don't really pay too much attention. But if there's zeal and enthusiasm, it shows that there's a passion, there's a desire there, a fervency. But there's something else interesting in that little passage the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I was speaking to the children today and, and uh, really encouraging to talk to them about at the end of the, at the end of the sketch. Here we were talking just like this. And I said, now look, children, can we expect God to answer our prayers if we're living a life of sin? Well, the answer to that is no, obviously. You can't be out living recklessly, lasciviously, living sinfully, and then expect God to hear and answer your prayers. In fact, you know that, and that's why your prayer often lacks fervor, because you're not living the way you ought to live. But one boy raised his hand, he said, but doesn't God forgive? I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and if we repent, humble ourselves, and true repentance... The instant we do that, our prayers are heard. And we sometimes feel like, oh, I'm such a failure, I can't pray. I can't pray because I'm not living the way I should live, and therefore God's not going to listen to me. And so instead of getting right with God, we continue in self-pity. That's not what God wants. God wants us to be aware that the second we're not living the way that we should live, our relationship with God is hindered. But it can be restored. Immediately. And if it is restored in that simple childlike faith. Today, we had a little incident at the house. The children did before coming to Holiday Club. And and uh, something appeared to be quite out of hand. And, and so Juliana dealt with it first. And then I came, came back and then dealt with it afterwards. And when there's a sign of contrition on a child's face. When a child... Is obviously sorry, repentant, penitent. You don't have to hold your anger any longer. And God is so much more pure than we are, and so much more willing to forgive than we are, and so much more willing to be reconciled than we are. We have that problem of sometimes having a grudge and our feelings being hurt and, and all this kind of thing. God didn't have that. God didn't have that hurdle to get over hurt feelings and grudges. He doesn't have that. He's just looking for repentance. And as soon as he sees it, restoration can be made. But this is important that we understand that if we want our prayers to, to be effectual, we've got to be righteous. Walking not in your righteousness. Here's the key. If you're trusting in your good behavior, you will never ever have faith that your prayer is going to be heard. If you are trusting your performance as to why God hears your prayer, you will never, ever have enough faith to believe God's going to hear your, your prayer. And your prayers won't be fervent. Because you'll think, well, I can't really pray with expectancy because I'm not what I should be. Because I'm always failing and I'm never living up to the expectation. But you've forgotten it's not our righteousness. It's His. And when you live in light of that, it doesn't mean you live sinfully and licentiously. No, no, no. It's when you live in light, constant reality, that I am welcomed into the presence of God because of His righteousness, not mine, then you will camp out in His presence. Regardless of if you've messed up. In fact, when you've messed up, you'll know you need to be there in His presence. 
Because that's the only place in the presence of God that you can be reconciled. And so when James writes the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look, if Elijah was a righteous man, and he was, how much more righteous can we be? Because our righteousness is in Christ. So stop looking and saying, I can never be like Elijah. He was, he was like next to perfect. He wasn't perfect. We know that. And although he was a righteous man, you and I have a greater standing with God because our righteousness is in Christ. So stop. So remove that excuse. We are righteous in the Savior. And as soon as we can live in that righteousness and cease from our own labors, that's what it means. Hebrews talks about entering into rest. The Israelites could have entered into the promised land, but they didn't because they continued in their own efforts and strengths. Well, if we will enter into Christ's rest and cease from our labors, cease trying to please God by our good behavior and stop trying to impress God and recognize we are in Christ Jesus, we have pleased Him. Then we are set free. And then our prayers change. Energized. Zealous. And they start to accomplish something. And here's our example, Elijah. I remind you tonight, it's not about you. It's not about Elijah. And as unique and incredible as as Elijah was, it was not his uniqueness. It was not his position as a prophet that made his prayer amazing. Because long before we ever knew Elijah even was a prophet, he was praying. Do you know that? Long before we ever even knew the name Elijah, he was praying. We know that. Hold your place there and go go back to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings 17. The very first time we even hear the name Elijah is found in 1 Kings 17. And we're given a brief introduction. And Elijah the Tishbite, that's it, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. That's all we have. Elijah talks to Ahab. Now look what he says to Ahab. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. Now hold on a minute. I thought he was standing in front of Ahab. Now you begin to understand something about Elijah just by looking at this first introduction. He was not standing before man. He was standing before God. I'm not preaching tonight before man, but rather before God. And this is exactly, Paul understood this, and he encouraged uh, Timothy in the same way. He says in uh, 2 Timothy 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Preach the word before God. Be instant in season and out of season before God. Reprove before God. Rebuke before God. Exhort before God. All that we do ought to be before God. But you don't do that unless you learn how to pray. It came to pass, the scripture said, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said, Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. This is, this is quite interesting. Later on, uh, Ahab accuses Elijah of being the man that troubled Israel. And it was because of Elijah that the rain didn't come. Well, that's partly true. It was because of Ahab's sin in the nation of Israel's sin that it hadn't rained. But it was because of that that Elijah prayed to God and stopped the rain. But it was indeed the word of Elijah. It was indeed his prayer. We're told that in James. 
He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And he had such faith in God that when he stood before the king, he made an announcement publicly that it wasn't going to rain for three years. Now, you better be pretty sure about yourself before you stand before a king in the whole world and tell him it's not going to rain for three years. You better be pretty sure of yourself. Now, that man had already prayed and already got assurance from heaven that God was going to answer that prayer before he went to the king. Because you'd be a fool to go to the king unless you had assurance from heaven that that was exactly what was going to happen. Well, one of the things about this prayer that God is trying to show us in James chapter 5 is that this prayer is not about you. And it's not about Elijah. Elijah is our example in prayer. And if it was his office or his calling that made him an effective prayer, then not one of us would have any hope about being a prayer warrior today. But it wasn't about his office. It wasn't about his calling. It was, it was the fact that he prayed. He was like us. It's really not about how mighty you are, but it's about how mighty God is. Do you remember what the author of Hebrews says? In Hebrews 11, he that cometh to God must believe. Believe what? That he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so when Elijah stood before Ahab, actually he stood before God, he believed that God was all that he said he was. You want your prayers to get something done, you better start believing that God is who he says he is. Part of the problem is we just don't trust God. We don't trust his word. And this is one of the things that I really try to wrestle with these some of our Dutch friends with. You just have to believe that if God said it, it's true. You don't, you don't trust God. God. Said it that bluntly sometimes to some of our Dutch friends. The problem, the root of the problem is you don't trust God and you don't trust his word. Do you trust his word? Elijah did. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And you must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Meaning if you pray, God will reward you. Reward you with what? With an answer. That's what it means. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call. But if you don't believe... That God is faithful. That God is true to his word. If you don't believe that he's going to answer, you're not going to pray. Now, let's get down to the nitty gritty here just quickly. Why was Elijah praying that the rain would stop? I want you to think about this. Why? Let your mind just roll on that question. Why was Elijah praying that it would not rain. I'll tell you why. What was his motive? For decades, the people of God had forsaken God. And each king was getting worse and worse and worse. And it began with Jeroboam. If you remember, the sin of Jeroboam was this he was afraid. That if his people kept going down to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God, that he would lose the nation. The nation had been split. If you remember, after Solomon, the nation had been split north and south, ten tribes and two tribes. And Jeroboam was afraid that if his people kept going down to Jerusalem, he was going to lose them and ultimately lose his part of the kingdom. 
So here's what he said. For the sake of efficiency and ease, I'm going to set up two worship stations in our part of the land. One in the north, one in the south. Put a golden calf and said, look, these, these calves will represent our God, Jehovah God. And that'll make it so you don't have to go to Jerusalem, but you can go here and worship, and you can still worship Jehovah, the one true living God, but you can do it here. All for the sake of convenience and ease. Can I tell you how much has been sacrificed on the altar of convenience and ease these days? I wonder, I think about, I was even thinking about this today, I wonder how much has been, has been sacrificed just because of the live stream. Now the live stream, I battle in my mind all the time because there are some people who don't have anywhere to worship and they rely upon that live stream. They rely upon that. Some people in the Netherlands, some people in New Zealand who even watch just our live stream. That's not, there's others around the world that, as well. But I also wonder how many people use it as an excuse not to come and worship. Sit at home. Some people can't get out of the home. Some of our brothers and sisters tonight who are unwell, they're at home watching on the live stream. I don't even know if we've got live stream going or not. But, but um, they, they, they need it. But others don't need it. They could be here. But it's easier. It's more convenient to watch it at home. Almost like watching a film. Get your popcorn out and your Coca-Cola and sit back, prop your feet up and relax. You can sit in your PJs if you want to. Very comfortable. And you don't have to fix your hair and get dressed up nicely. And, and uh, nobody knows. You can put a, pause it if you need to go and use the loo. And well, I'll tell you, it's very convenient. Now, that's how it started. The demise, the fall of Israel started with convenience. And several kings later, you finally come to Ahab. You know what happens by the time it gets to Ahab? The Bible says each one of those kings got worse and worse. Ahab's father was Omri, and he was, he was nasty, worse than all the others. And Ahab was even worse. In fact, he was so bad, he married Jezebel, the daughter of a pagan tribe and people who worship Baal. And it got so bad that Jezebel introduced Baal worship to the people of God, and they, they took down all the places where Jehovah was, although he was being worshipped in the wrong way, at least his name, and the thought of the one true God was still being somewhat worshipped, even that was taken down and altogether replaced with the false god of Baal. That all began with convenience, comfort, and ease. And that's where our nation is headed, by the way. Very soon, Jehovah God the one true living God will be replaced by a blatantly open false God. And right now we still act like we worship the one true living God, but very soon you watch, it'll be replaced. He will be replaced. And this is where Elijah shows up and he is jealous for God. This drives all that he does. This drives his prayer. He's jealous for the glory of God. And he remembers something that Moses promised many, many years prior to this. He remembers that Moses said that if we serve, turn from the one true living God and serve Baal, serve a false God, then we would be struck with drought. And Elijah remembered this. And this was the basis of his prayer, the honor and glory of God. Now, do you know why many of our prayers don't get answered? Because we pray to consume it. We have not because we ask not or we ask amiss. 
that we may consume things upon our own lusts. We pray for ourselves. We need this and we want this. And, and Lord, I want you to take care of that person. And I want you to hold on a moment. Elijah had not, no thought of himself. His prayer was for the glory of God. And if we can learn to pray with this motive, that it would be for the glory of God. All that we pray. And then we can even pray that way when it comes to healing someone. We pray for our sister to be healed. It would be done for the glory of God, not for her comfort and ease. We sometimes, we're, we're so empathetic and sympathetic with people that we say, oh, they're just suffering and us. Lord, we just ease their pain. And well, I understand that, but there's a greater motive to pray that God would be glorified. God would be honored and glorified. And if we can pray that way, then we can pray with a certainty that our prayer will be answered. Because God, by the way, he prayed, Elijah prayed based upon the promises of God. God had already forewarned and the people of God had gotten to the place where they thought, well, you see, we can live like this and nothing bad is ever going to happen. And I know God said this, but look, God's not, I wonder if even God's even real. And Elijah bothered Elijah. They doubted the word of God and they doubted the promises of God and they doubted whether he was even real. And that fueled his prayer. By the way, that gets my blood boiling just thinking about it, doesn't it, you? Gets things rolling in me just thinking. About it. If we would just stop for a moment and look around us at the condition of our country and the condition of Christianity and the condition of the church, it ought to stir us to pray a little bit more directly. Not that God would stop the rain and rain down fire. I'm not saying that at all. But that God would be glorified. That he'd be honored. Because we have replaced the honor and glory of God with traditions. That's what happened from Jeroboam all the way down. King after king, leader after leader. Until it went through Omri and eventually to Ahab who had gone so far off track. He started worshiping a false god. If you can see that direction now, the traje trajectory now of where we're headed, you want to pray fervently, effectually. He did. The Bible says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly. That it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. We have a pattern here. We can pray like this when our eyes are focused on what he's focused on. He's focused only on the glory of God. And he didn't care what happened to him. I mean, he showed up to Ahab. He could have been beheaded on the spot. He did not care what happened to him. All he cared about was the glory of God. If we can find ourselves there, we can find ourselves praying for God to do miraculous things and we can believe that he'll answer it. Not because of us, not because we want to be seen and have the highlight and be on the front page of Christianity today and, and the, the, the news may broadcast our name in our church. And all the, no, no, no. We would have, we wouldn't even think about that. We would only be thinking about the glory of God. That God would be restored to his rightful place. When we start praying like that, we can, we can believe that our prayer will be answered. We can believe it. And I just want you to begin thinking about this. The thing that made Elijah who he was and what he was, was his prayer. 
Because the first thing we're given about Elijah is his willingness to confront King Ahab, a wicked man. And he did it because he knew the promises of God and he prayed for the glory of God. If we can get back to that, really praying, effectually, fervently, in the righteousness of Christ, our prayers will avail. We shall conquer. We shall take territory we've never taken before. We shall take new ground and new land. And you say, but we're so little. Elijah was one against 850 false prophets. He was one man. In fact, the condition of Christianity, the condition of God's people had gotten so low that there were only 7,000 that still trusted God. You say, that sounds like a lot. No, no, no. 7,000 in the whole world. And, and they were hiding. Remember there, there, we read in the story later on that there were a hundred other prophets. But they were hiding. They weren't prophesying. Obadiah took care of them, but one man. You could be that one man or that one woman. You could be. In fact, it'd be amazing if all of us, all of us bombarded the throne of God for his glory. God is obligated to answer because his glory must be upheld, must be protected. He will not share his glory with another. He will answer that prayer as long as it be for his glory, for his honor. I'm encouraged to think about some of these things. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's what we need today is availing prayer. Availing prayer. Let's pray together. We'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we rejoice to read that it is possible to pray and lay hold on thee and lay hold on heaven and know that our prayers can be answered if we pray for thy glory. We pray for thy honor. Lord, there are so many things that could be prayed that would bring honor and glory to thy name. Surely, Lord, it glorifies thee when souls are saved. So we conclude we can pray for souls to be saved so that glory and honor would come to thy name. Surely, Father, it would please thee and honor thy name when the church is restored. When people are no longer being comfortable playing Christianity because it's comfortable and easy. So Lord, we pray, stir thy people up. We ask of thee, Lord, do something that we cannot do ourselves, but we believe that not only are you able to do, but willing to do as well. Lord, change us, guide us, teach us more about this. We pray. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.